I'm lost. I'm confused and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where I am in this moment. And that, just acknowledging that, bringing that awareness in can just help you with a little more clarity. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Everything you do builds on everything you've done. Nothing is wasted. Nothing gets tossed away. Everything in this life arrives with us into this present moment. Everything remembered, everything forgotten, the cultivated and the denied, the hoped for and the disappointing realities of when we sought better for ourselves or for others. Everything broken and everything whole, everything denied and forgotten, the shame of those times when we let ourselves off the hook and the pride of going beyond our expectations. All of our voices arrive in any given moment. The question is, which one is more compelling? And that is the work of the present. And what we do with that, that is also the work of the present. Nothing gets thrown away. And there's no going back to some pristine moment of nostalgia-filtered imagination. We meet our fate on the road taken to avoid it. And so life is an endless improvisation with brilliant and faulty material ever unfolding into this present moment. We talk about how the digestive system separates the clear from the dross, pulls nourishment from the mud of earth, sends up the clear, and releases what's not of use. There is a difference between releasing and getting rid of. One is an act of distancing. The other, mm, more like a gentle exhale, like watching autumn leaves falling into a river. Some experience is harder to digest than others. We need to find a way to pull nourishment out of the pain, open new possibilities from within the frame of limitation, compost resentment into compassion, and grow forgiveness out of rage, and find a way to be firm with our ignorance and to be gentle with others. Nothing gets thrown away. The question is, what of the past is coloring the present? And has it been digested to the point of nourishment or still in the process of separating clear from dross? These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. 
Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Medicine is ethics and action. We continually are invited into moments that have us turning our focus toward what is helpful for the person in front of us. We bring all of our brilliance and flaws to this endeavor. We are here for the healing of our patients and also constantly invited into our own broken and empty spaces. It's incumbent upon us to attend to our own well-being without asking our patients to take care of us. In this conversation with Shana Safle, we explore some of the boundaries between therapy and acupuncture, knowing when and when not to disclose personal information to our patients, and how to regulate our own nervous systems so we can be present in the moment to the person who is in front of us. You don't have to be whole to do this work, but you do need to be working on it. Let's get into today's show now and listen to Shauna's thoughts on the fiery process of staying present in clinic. Shauna Safle, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to re- remember who 
recommended that I talk to you. I can't remember this stuff anymore. I talk to so many people these days. It's weird. One of the things about you that I find particularly interesting is that you have this background in social work as well. You bring this into Chinese medicine. One of the things I find fascinating about Chinese medicine is we have these very basic principles. We have the five elements. We have the six qi. We have yin yang. I mean, if all we did was look through those lenses, we could be busy for a whole lifetime helping people. And yet the thing that makes Chinese medicine so interesting for me is given who we are in the background that we have, we can bring that, like connect that up with the rest of Chinese medicine, and it opens up whole other perspectives. Yes. And this is what brought me to Chinese medicine, is it opened my world up in a way that I did not know was possible. What happened? So I was a social worker for many years and a highly stressed out social worker. A lot of being a social worker is trying to figure out how you can be calm in the moment to problem solve and support your clients or your patients where they're at. And you never know what experience you're going to get into. You never know who you're going to meet, what dynamics are involved. And there's a level of burnout that can occur and a level of not being able to manage your own central nervous system within that experience. So somebody told me I should go see an acupuncturist, and I did not know what they were talking about. I had never heard about Chinese medicine, <laughs> but I was desperate to find something that could help me, to help me remain calm, calmer on the calmer side in my experience. So I went and saw an acupuncturist, and I remember the first treatment that I had, and I felt very relaxed on the table. But it was after the treatment that I noticed my ability to manage stress shifted. And I couldn't explain what that was. I couldn't articulate it. But I do know when I went back, I was working at the hospital at the time, when I went back to the hospital, how I connected and engaged shifted and how I viewed stress shifted. And I decided to learn about this more. And I got my master's in Chinese medicine. So as a social worker, you say that you had a lot of stress. I can't imagine a social worker not having stress. That job description means that you're going to be sitting with people in difficult situations, probably people that have had all kinds of trauma and difficulties, or they wouldn't be in the place that they're in. I mean, by definition, you're walking into a firestorm. Yeah, you're walking into a lot of crisis, mm -hmm. a lot of trauma, a lot of confusion and overwhelm. Mm -hmm. and a part of a cultivation of within a social work is the patient, your interaction with the client and the patient and helping them with resources. But a lot of that is how can you be a calm within the crisis? Yes. And that translates into Chinese medicine as how we show up as acupuncturists. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes the most important thing that I can do is to have my nervous system a few levels lower than my patients, especially if they're dealing with any kind of stress, mental illness diagnosis, recent crisis. Oh, recent crisis. Well, United States, the whole world in the past couple of years. Right. And, and so hearing that you as a social worker, I mean, in my mind, I don't know what a social worker, I don't know the training behind that, but I would think that a significant portion would be already learning how to regulate your nervous system. And so if you're finding difficulty with regulating your nervous system, 
you know, that's got my attention now. Yes. We know that Chinese medicine, acupuncture in particular, is amazing at recalibrating people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just magic in how it will bring up calm from within the nervous system. You know, people often on my table, they'll, they'll get off and they'll go, I want some more of that. Put more of that in me. It's like, I'm not putting anything in you. I'm calling something out of you. It's already there. You may not feel its presence. You may be disconnected from it. But if it wasn't in you, you wouldn't be able to feel what you feel right now. Yeah. You speak to an empowerment that Chinese medicine helped me cultivate. And in dealing with my own emotions, my own pain points in life, I'm a big believer in talk therapy and other supportive therapies. But there was something within Chinese medicine that tapped me into something, like you said, I already had that I didn't know I had. I had this ability to feel on the the calmer side. I had this ability to tap into creativity. I had this ability to process emotion differently. And that to me, that was my experience. And that to me was just profound. And in social work training, at least when I was trained, and I was trained about 20 years ago, you get a lot of process through talk therapy and through some breathing regulation. But that's the point of where my training began and end, ended in social work. So Chinese medicine really opened up this other world of how I could regulate and then how I can help people regulate within their own systems. Great. Tell us more about that. The root of it is processing emotion, I believe a lot of it is. I was raised primarily by a mother that allowed me to process emotions. So whatever I was experiencing, that was safe for me to acknowledge it and process it. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling anxious. Okay, what does that feel like in your body? And it's okay that you feel this way. And I think what happens with Chinese medicine, it can bring awareness to how we were feeling. It can bring a different awareness with how we are engaging with ourselves and in the world around us. So when we experience grief, what does that feel like in the body? When we're experiencing fear, what does that feel like in the body? And when we bring awareness around that, what I found for myself and for the people I work with is it doesn't become so scary and overwhelming. The trigger response can feel different. The trigger, so for instance, the triggers to thoughts can feel differently to how I'm feeling about, let's say, a stressful situation. When I'm bringing awareness to how I'm I'm feeling in my physical body, I can connect to that thought differently. So a certain kind of embodied presence. Embodied presence, yes. Yes. So it's really easy when we have needles in us to fall into that state. We're just so gently invited into it. It's hard not to slip into it. When we're sitting in a room with one of our patients, especially if they have something going on, and maybe we do too, maybe we had a fight with our spouse or we're worried about the bills or there's, you know, there's a flood in the basement, who knows, whatever it is, right? Crisis de jour. How do you bring yourself into that place so that you can help guide your patient into that place for themselves as well? Yeah. So I talk a lot about being able to look in your life. It all it's around self-cultivation as a practitioner, I think. Looking at how you're managing your anxiety will give you a way to articulate and connect around somebody else's anxiety. It's going to be hard for me to help you manage your anxiety if I have not looked at that within myself. Spot on. Yeah. Looking at your grief, how are you managing that? So it really starts from within. 
And that comes back to the simple question of how am I feeling in this moment? Where are the pain points in my life that maybe I haven't explored and maybe I'm ready to explore them? And that simple intention of bringing awareness will help then bring awareness and hold space for other people's pain points and their grief and their anxiety. But it really starts from within. And I don't think that I realized that as I was chewing on the idea as a social worker, but I really don't think I realized that deeply until I was in graduate school for Chinese medicine, that everything branched out from how I showed up in the therapeutic relationship. So I'm constantly trying to work on self-cultivation. It's not like I always say June 22nd, 2024, I'll be done with this experience and I'm done with self-cultivating. It's a constant process because you, ne- you never know what patient interaction triggers you, uh, transference, how you're dealing with your own life when crisis happens and how you have to negotiate your practice. So this is constant. Absolutely. And I think that I can only speak for social workers and acupuncturists in my both professions is we may get a pass because we're in these disciplines with the thought that we have done self-cultivation. Because as a social worker, there may be an assumption that we've done that or as an acupuncturist. And I think it's an active step to engage in that. It's not a given. We have to actively choose to do that. I would agree. And I have also found in my own experience that as I've gained more comfort with myself in certain situations, that's great for certain patients, right? I can be there for them or they can be in a certain state. And it really, I'm like a rock on the Oregon coast. It's like, you can toss any wave against me with that one. And I'm a rock on that one. But what happens as I am more and more able to sit with people, I find that sometimes I attract more and more really challenging people who will show up. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's just that I notice that, wow, this one's really challenging because I notice that I'm off kilter. And I like to explore what do we do when we feel off kilter in that moment? Because we have to engage. We have to still connect and do our treatment. Absolutely. We're the professional here. We're the ones that are being relied upon. Right. To hold that space, to be able to regulate our own nervous system, as you were saying. And then to be of help to our patient. How do we do that when we feel like we're drowning? Some of the things that have helped me is to feel my feet on the ground. Personally, when I feel off kilter, I I feel like I float a little bit up. My energy becomes high. So what I do is I, I put my feet on the ground. And I've taught myself throughout the years to deep belly breathe in the middle of conversation. I probably looked very funny when I started doing that. But what I realized, it was the quickest access to become more grounded when I felt off kilter. So deep belly breathing, feeling my feet on the ground. And then I say to myself, I acknowledge it. I'm feeling off kilter. Before, when I was especially when I was a social worker, I would feel off kilter and feel like I had to muscle through it. So I'm feeling off, but let's just muscle through it and get the job done. And now I honor its presence. And I say, you're here. This feeling is here. And I will engage with you in in a safer time. That sounds like a very yin type practice. Instead of muscling through with some energy, I'm going to rise to this and push through. Yes, you can sometimes. But then there's that other side that you just described. Feet on the ground, breath in the belly. There's the power of yin right there. And I wasn't trained specifically around that in social work school. And I wish I was. 
because I wish I had those mindful practices because I think it would have helped with decreased burnout and anxiety. Maybe you can teach some basic Chinese medicine cultivation to social workers and it will help them. <laughs> Good advice. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the feet on the ground, the belly. I found a trick a few years ago because when I'm feeling off kilter, that part of my brain that knows things, it's a little bit offline, right? You're down in your limbic system and whatever part of the brain that is self-protection, it's not really thinking. It's self-protection. And so the thought to myself, the belly breathe or take a deep breath, it like never worked because I couldn't think that thought because the brain wasn't in a place to think that thought. But what I have found is if I will just put my hand on my belly or my forearm on my belly or just feel my shirt on my belly and breathe so that I feel connecting with my physiology, like my hand on my forearm as it's just lightly resting on my belly. I'm not thinking to breathe deeply. I'm just using my physiology to pay attention to my physiology. And that dramatically can drop me out of that hyper-aroused state. Yeah. It's really curious. I'm not using my brain to do it. I'm not saying breathe, Michael, but I am using my physiology to talk to itself. Yes. I found that really helpful. And I've taught it to patients because you can do that while you're in a conversation. You can do it at a stoplight when you're freaked out. You can do it on a phone call. Just putting your forearm or your hand on your belly and just paying attention to how the breath rises up into your hand. It's weird. This tool that we have. Yeah. You spoke about not being able to connect when you're in that high alert of stress. I think a lot of being in the patient experience is embodying a few aspects. One is we are acknowledging our feeling space. And then we are acknowledging the patient's feeling space. And then we're calling on our education and what we've learned. And then we're connecting to our intuition. So there's all these different aspects that are happening in that room. And being aware that it's ever-flowing dynamic of all these four aspects. And honoring yourself in that experience just as much as you're honoring the patient and your intuition and then your knowledge of this medicine has helped me. everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I can see how that would help. I hear you say it. I reflect on my experience. 
there's the part of me, especially when I first got out of school, it's like, well, I'm supposed to be the expert here and I'm supposed to understand what's going on. But you don't have to be in clinic too very long on your own without the scaffolding of supervision to realize what is going on here. And I'm supposed to be the expert, but maybe the only expert I can be at this moment is to settle the heck down so I can listen to what the patient is saying, drop my own little sound stream in my head about what I think is going on. And it sounds so simple. It sounds so fundamental. And I think it is. But I don't think it's often talked about. You know, especially we come out of school and we've had all this training three or four or five years. Man, I'm supposed to be smart by now. And I can tell you after 20 years of practice, I thought I'd know a hell of a lot more than I do at this moment. Every patient encounter is this big unknown. Yes. And I think us humans in dealing with the uncertainty that comes from the unknown, it can be exciting on one hand, but it can be so terrifying on the other. Yeah. Speaking to the vulnerability of patient care, I, I believe I like to explore more. It's a highly vulnerable process. Patient care, connecting to somebody else and hearing their story is highly vulnerable. And the moment that I started saying, I don't know, let me research that more, or I don't know, that's a good question, I don't know, it calmed my central nervous system. The, when I learned how to say no and I don't know, just in life. It took away that extra pressure that you were talking about of the idea of being all-knowing is a myth. We know what we know when we know it, and then we know a little more. I used to think that I don't know was a stopping point. It meant I wasn't good enough. I didn't know enough. You probably need someone besides me. That's what I used to think. At this point, I don't know. It's not a stopping point. It's the starting point. In fact, I don't know is a great place to start. Because now we're open, now we're paying attention more. And my experience has been in the clinic, if I can honestly, in an embodied way, say, I don't know, and I'm still present, and I'm here to help you and I find out, people respond to that. I think they really appreciate it. It feels very authentic in that moment. This idea of saying, I don't know, and worthiness, I tell my students often, Everything that you've done has brought you to this moment. You all have brought something within this medicine that can help somebody. What can you do to stay engaged in your sense of worthiness of being in this space? It's a complete honor to be in this space, I believe, in patient care, as well as you are worthy of being there within the mistakes that you make, within the I don't knows, within the overwhelm or the burnout. How do you still stay there with that sense of worthiness? It's something that I'm exploring in my life at almost 47 years old. And for me, there is this dance of worthiness with, I'm going to call it an inflated sense of who I think I am. So there's a dance there because it's possible to have some hubris, right? It's like, oh, you got that problem. Huh, I'm the expert on that. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. I tell people if somebody's coming in for chronic migraines and you do a treatment and next thing you know, they don't have chronic migraines, they're going to be looking at you that, you know, that you're this miracle worker. How do you stay grounded in the fact that this medicine works? It's powerful that the patient is on their own healing journey that really has, is not connected to your timeline or your expectations. And it's, you are a little blip on their whole life journey experience. So we all want what's best for our patients. 
that's why we're here. And for whatever reason, we're drawn to the work. All right, we all have our own reasons, but we're here for our patients. And I think all of us can be pretty clear about that, unless you're some kind of psychopathic person that wound up, you know, in here because you like being a god or something. But mostly we're here for our patients. And we love it when they get better. I have found for myself there is also this part of me that wants to feel like a good practitioner. And so I'm kind of leaning on my patients to get better so I can feel okay about me. I think that is very unhelpful in the treatment room. I think that can put a deep pressure on a patient. We do have their best intentions, but sometimes unwinding that part that is looking for the, yes, this worked, I think can be very, very helpful for people. Because then, as you were saying, we can be a blip. We should just be a blip. They should be able to say, I did this myself. Yes. So the empowerment that brought me to this medicine, I hope to share with people in their healthcare journey, that they see, that they connect to their health and how their agency and how they're moving through the world, that it's so personal and so connected to them. And I'm out of that. I'm out of the major narrative of that. Does that make sense? You can't be the major narrative of you're seeing 45 people a week. You have to be the major narrative in your life. (laughs) And even that, that's questionable at times, right? (laughs) This idea of healing and what is healing, I ask myself and I ask my students, and can you have healing in chronic illness and dying? These are the questions that I ask because it helps me become grounded into where I am in somebody's, in the patient care experience. And can they have healing in a process of dying? Yes. Absolutely. I would agree with you. Tell me more your thoughts about that. Healing to me is very personal and it's a consciousness shift. It can be one element of it can be a consciousness shift. And perhaps it's a consciousness shift of letting go a little bit, of leaning into love a little differently, of forgiveness of having conversations that you may have not had before. Fortunate enough in both of my careers to see how healing can grow out of chronic illnesses and dying. And it's bringing in a little more peace. It's connecting to some type of an acceptance of where you're at in a different way that perhaps isn't as overwhelmed or stressful or painful. I loved your phrase. I'm, I'm just noodling on this thing that you just said about leaning into love and forgiveness. I remember seeing a patient recently. I don't know where the words come from sometimes. Usually I'm repeating back something the patient said to me or something they're trying to say, but they're not able to hear it. This woman's been through some real difficulties. And I'm thinking, what can I do with herbs? What can I do with acupuncture? And then I, I just, I remember saying to her, have you considered that maybe some forgiveness for your past self who was looking out for your future self and maybe could have made a different choice. Maybe that could use a little forgiveness. It's really surprising to me because I thought the needles always did the work, but it's very curious to me over time to see how using the principles of our medicine, thinking about you know emotions in the way that we do or thinking about chi in the way that we do can lead to conversations that put people totally in touch with the resources that they need. I mean, we do it with needles all the time. But sometimes our presence in the clinic 
sometimes the way people say things and the way that we help them to hear what they've not been able to hear yet will shift the chi in just that kind of a dramatic way. You offering that suggestion, my observation of that is that you are comfortable with articulating forgiveness and you see its connection to some type of peace. It does come out of my own experience. Yeah. So this is where we get into some really interesting territory. I want to dive into this a little bit. We are not psychotherapists in the work that we do. Mm -hmm. I get accused of being a therapist all the time. I am not a therapist. I don't want to be a therapist, and I don't want to do psychotherapy with people. But I get accused of it all the time in my clinic. And I think that happens simply because I am asking questions because I'm trying to better understand the person who I'm sitting with so that I can help them. I'm not trying to psychotherapize them. I'm trying to understand who they are. But usually in our culture, that experience with a professional, it's often considered therapy. That's usually where people will have that kind of, the potential for that depth of conversation. Right. And so we get into things like transference. And we get into these moments where maybe I have had an experience. At this point, for me, it is a digested experience. And so I can say something about forgiveness, not from the point of view of, oh, you should forgive yourself, but recognizing in myself, oh, yeah, that can be helpful. Something in the patient rings that in me. And I can say it in that moment. And maybe it's helpful. How do we work with this really slippery interface between I've had an experience, I've digested it, maybe this will be helpful, and I've had an experience and it's still kind of raw. It's not really digested. In fact, it's kind of active. And that rings up. And I think it's very easy for us as humans to go, well, I know something about that because, damn it, I got the same anger. But that's not going to be helpful for our patients. How do we work with this stuff? Let me start from the fact that we're not psychotherapists, but we do ask a lot of questions around emotion and somebody's life experience, and that um, is very much connected to our medicine. When what I tell individuals and for myself, when I'm starting to get into this connection with my patient, when I feel like I'm feeling I'm becoming more of a therapist than an acupuncturist, and that's an awareness that I have. That means I feel it in my space, right? So I feel like somebody needs more support around the emotional aspect of what they're going through or any aspect they're going through that I can provide as an acupuncturist. So that typically is my intuition coming up. The ding, 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 ding. This I'm getting into areas in which I feel this patient needs more support that I can't provide as an acupuncturist. So that's the first awareness that I bring in. That doesn't mean that I shut off those conversations, but I'm pulling in questions around, have you talked to somebody around this? What is your support system like around this? Are you open to connecting to some support around this? So those are the three questions that I typically ask. Self-disclosure is what you were talking about as well. And we all disclose a little bit for that connection. We can all speak to the spirit of something to help normalize a patient's experience and connect with them on a human level. Before I do a little bit of self-disclosure, I ask myself, why am I disclosing this? Mm. And how do I think the patient will receive it? So if I'm going through an undigested trauma and it's in my central nervous system and vibrating and hot, if I need to self-disclose that, why do I need to self-disclose that? 
What's my motive in doing that? And how is the patient going to receive it? I self-disclose in the spirit of something. So typically, I self-disclose in terms of how challenging the workaround forgiveness can be. So versus saying this is exactly what I've been doing forgiveness work around. There's two differences. Third is our profession doesn't have supervision. Right. So when I was in social work school, I met with a supervisor every week. And a lot of it was, what is going on with your clients? How are you feeling in connection with that? And what are the pain points that we can work on? Every week I met with a professional. We don't have that in our training. So bringing that awareness, and I understand that our inner therapists get called in this connection with our patients, but there needs to be a due diligence and how we're navigating that space. That's a really helpful rubric. When I'm thinking about disclosing something or something's coming up from the inside of me, and I'm going to bring that out into the conversation, in service of what and for whom? That's what I hear you saying, in service of what and for whom. That's helpful. I think that's really helped me. You really want to connect to your patients. And when we do our medicine, there's a part of us that I believe gets healed as well. We go through a healing process. Those two questions have fundamentally helped me with disclosure. Have I gotten it perfect? No. Have I made mistakes? Absolutely. Have I said sorry? Yes. <laughs> Understanding that too. Sometimes <laughs> it backfires. And and then we learn something. Yeah. Maybe we learn something. We have an opportunity to learn something. I don't know about you. Sometimes I find that I, I like run up against the same kerfuffle before I realize, oh, I'm running up against the same thing here. Okay, let's pause. Let's see what's going on here. It doesn't happen right away. It's usually, it's like a skip in a record. If, if you're old enough to remember what a long playing LP was, vinyl, where it would like skip, skip, you know, there's a little groove and it would keep skipping. Yeah. It's staying in the same place. I feel like healing is that. Healing and forgiveness can be like that for me. I feel like sometimes I can have a nice, I feel a nice handling on something, a situation, maybe an interpersonal relationship or something. And then something will happen and I feel like I've done no work around it. <laughs> it just like, it just completely triggered with it. You know, relationship that's triggering. I feel like, okay, I got this. I know how to handle this. And then something happens and it's almost like I'm at step one. And that has really humbled me and helps me with a lot of compassion and patient care because healing is not linear. You, we, sometimes we go back and we get stuck and then we move forward and it's completely dynamic. Yes. Even though you could have decades into the work, there are moments, oh my God, square one again. Here we are. Yes. Put those feet on the ground. Feel that breath in the belly. Knowing when you're lost is helpful. Yeah. That speaks in that dynamic I was talking about, connecting to my intuition or just feeling and honoring. I'm lost. I'm confused and I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where I am in this moment. And that, just acknowledging that, bringing that awareness in can just help you with a little more clarity. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles 
It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yes, I think it can help our patients as well. One of the things that I have discovered over the years, I think I'm supposed to be the smart person to know what's going on. Sometimes I'll be listening to a patient and I'm following, following, and all of a sudden it's like, I have no idea what they're talking about. It's like, how did we get to here? I'm supposed to be following. I'm paying attention. I'm taking notes. I'm the so-called expert. I got no idea. It's like all of a sudden it's like, I don't know what this woman's period is doing. She's been talking to me about her period for the past 10 minutes. I'm completely confused. I have found in those moments, if I will just stop and go, wait a minute, hang on. I want to make sure I've got this right because at this moment, I don't understand what's going on. And that can act like a reset because often they are so unclear on their experience. They're not able to report clearly what's going on. And me bringing the confusion up and in will sometimes allow them to go, okay, well, maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe they'll settle into a moment and realize, actually, I have no idea, or they'll come back and start again in a way that might be more coherent, or maybe they actually just have no idea what their experience is. Sometimes that's also the case. But to be able to name that, to bring it out, I find is an extremely vulnerable moment as a practitioner. And you did the key element of active listening. The idea of active listening is to paraphrase and ask questions around when you need more clarity in a non-judgmental way. And it's the one thing that keeps us in connection with communication with our patients. So that as a theory, as an idea, active listening, paraphrase. Okay, that all sounds really nice, but in the moment when it's happening, it's damn uncomfortable. There's a huge vulnerability that goes with it as the practitioner because a patient could just as easily come back and go, are you not listening to me? Could happen. That's true. And yet, if you were to move forward, you would have had to ride that confusion wave. Yeah, well, I found that doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. That just doesn't work. I've ridden that wave. Never helped. Calling out the emotion that you're saying reminds me, too, of this idea of calling out the emotion of what you're feeling in the room. Let's say a patient's highly anxious, and they're not expressing it, or you're, see you're feeling it, or you're seeing some idea or some ways that they're anxious. Even asking a question of, how are you feeling in this moment? Mm can help with honoring where the patient is at, but with you calling, not calling out, or being aware of maybe the unprocessed or processed emotion that's happening in the room. That seems like a really safe and inviting way for those moments when, again, I'm confused or I'm not sure where to go. Sometimes it's like you're in a double bind or something. I can't move this way. I can't move that way. That's a really nice question to ask because it allows the patient to take a moment 
and feel into where they are, but it also gives me as a practitioner a moment to feel into where I am as well. It sounds like a kind of a reset. It's like, let's just throw a little oil on this troubled water here. Let's just settle both of us a bit. You know, I mean, how often do we say something to our patients and in the back of our mind, we're going, all right, Mr. or Mrs. Doctor, are you listening to yourself? How often are we actually talking to ourselves? That's the root of it all. How, how are we doing in this moment? This idea that we have to be, I don't want to say robots, but void of honoring our feeling space. And I'm not saying when I'm feeling overwhelmed that I'm going to be melting down in front of my patients. I'm just calling on bringing awareness of how am I doing in this moment? How is the space feeling for me? A lot of people that get into Chinese medicine are very empathic. They're feeling lots of different emotions and energy. Yes, I think so. I think that feeling can be translated into irritability and anxiety if we're not aware of if feeling somebody else's emotions, feeling somebody else's energy space. It can be very confusing. I want to come back to something that you said earlier. You were talking about empowerment agency. And I'd like to explore that a little bit. I hear the word empowerment a lot these days, but I honestly don't really know what it means. Well, in the context of what I was talking about for me, it was this idea of muscling through and that I had to deal with my emotional blueprint or whatever I was going through and just muscle through it. And that there wasn't a way to engage with it that felt empowering. It's almost like if you've ever had a panic attack, it feels like somebody has hijacked your central nervous system. It feels like you have no control of what is happening in your world. You can feel very isolated and out of control. And empowerment through this medicine for myself helped me articulate my emotions in a different way. Maybe it was cultivating that yin side but helped me manage all the feelings that I was, was experiencing in a way that felt more empowering for myself versus these emotions that are happening and the stresses that's happening and it's overwhelming and I have no connection but just to feel the constant overwhelm with it. So, well, let me see if I have that. So empowerment for you is a way of being in touch with that inside that grounds you into the moment. Yes. With the feelings that you've got and the thoughts that you've got, but there's also a bigger space that it's held within. Yes. And then I'm empowered to learn about different aspects of how to take care of myself differently to help my central nervous being on the calmer side. I didn't know that I could do Qigong or dietary or breathing or any of this. So I, I'm empowered. I'm empowered to connect myself differently. Yeah. Which is medicine brought. It's interesting. I have another word that comes to mind as we're having this conversation. And that word is capacity. That there is a deeper capacity for being with ourselves, being with our patient, being with the moment. Yes. This capacity too also led to, and who knows if I would have gotten there without Chinese medicine, but this idea around forgiveness too. That capacity to have a response and to look into forgiveness and really do some deep forgiveness and how freeing that was for me felt very empowering. It shifted my life a lot, actually. 
And this is stuff that I worked on that I've digested, that I was ready to put my toe in the water around forgiveness. Now, you're doing some work. You're doing some teaching these days. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I teach Pacific College of Health and Science, and I teach the clinical counseling classes. So everything we spoke about today, I teach. We look at how we're showing up in a therapeutic relationship. We look at our biases, how that can show up in a therapeutic relationship. How do we navigate when we're feeling overwhelmed? All the aspects of, of what we talked about in this hour. Really, it's about helping students navigate conversations that can be challenging if they haven't. How do they connect with somebody who's in the throes of a drug addiction? What kind of questions do you want to ask? How do you pull in support for your patients? A lot of times people won't, they'll only see you as an acupuncturist. We tell them, please see a Western doctor, but you often can be their primary source of connection and health care. So we look at all the aspects in which we can psychosocial, emotionally support our patients as well as we look at trauma, what to do with when you sus suspect abuse, all of that. Do you have any favorite books about these subjects? Or, or, I mean, they even could be books of poetry or even a, a work of fiction. I mean, resources that people could read that would give them some glimpses into all this vast landscape of things that you just spoke about. One that I really go to, I'm really looking at exploring more about biases. And Tiffany Jana and Matthew Freeman, Overcoming Bias, mm. it's building authentic relationships across differences. And I like to look at biases in terms of they show up, I believe, unconsciously, and then they can show up when we're uncomfortable, when we don't want to ask questions, when we feel nervous, when we feel overwhelmed in a setting when somebody discloses something about themselves. And we just don't want to go there. So this book has really helped with that. And I'm also starting to read a book with Sonia Renee Taylor called The Body is Not an Apology. Ooh, wow. That's a powerful title. The Body is Not an Apology? Holy smokes. Yeah. And it's just really about radical acceptance of, our, of where we're at in our physical being. Where are we at in accepting it with radical love and the attempts to accept it with radical love, I should say. So those are the two books that I'm noodling over right now. I'm still a little starstruck at the title of that book. It's called The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. Which I would suspect has nothing to do with narcissism. Well, I mean, you think about narcissistic personalities, they're totally in love with themselves and they're so wonderful. Mm. You know, I'm so radically in love with myself. But, this, but you're talking about something different here. You're not talking about narcissism. Can you give us a glimpse of what you're talking about? Yeah. So this idea of wherever you're at in your mental health, your health situation is where can we pull in love around that? So my health may not be where I want it to be. This pain syndrome could still be here for me. But where can I pull in acceptance and love and peace? around that. That is so counter to our usual Western narrative. I've got this uncomfortable thing, and the solution is to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And here we're talking about the situation is here. I'm not looking to get rid of it. I'm actually looking to accept it, bring in some love. Why would I want to bring in love for something about me that I hate? That's a potent question, huh? Yeah. If you look at trauma and any 
type of illness that we've experienced or health issues, the mind will go to, you should have done that. The mind tends to go into a fear space. The mind can go down this rabbit hole of critical thinking, not constructive critical thinking. It can go down to real judgment. Yes. And in those moments, how do you pull back and find some peace and self-love around that? I suspect there are a number of ways of doing that. Is there one gem from that book or from your experience that you could leave us with today? Again, coming back on where am I feeling in this moment? So, well, there's a couple of things. I like to pull in where am I feeling in this moment? So let's say I'm feeling overwhelmed. And let's say my mind is saying, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be doing this, going down the rabbit hole. I pull back and I'll say, what is this trying to tell me? What is this stream of thought? What is it trying to do? And typically it's to protect. It's to protect from vulnerability. It's to protect from being hurt. It could be a hypervigilance of protection. And then I'll say, I know you're here. And I pull in either visualizations or self-talk or support to help in that protection. So if my body is, if if I'm needing some protection, then I'll pull in what I visualize or feel for safety. So whatever that is, whether it's an experience that I have that felt feel safe, a person, a visualization of a, a location, but honoring that my body is crying out for some protection and that in not saying, well, go away. I see you're here. And then what can I do to pull in support to make you feel safe in this moment? So that's something that I do often. Hang on. I just, I just need to digest that again for just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> this is not one of those conversations that there's a quick reply. As I hear you say this, I think about my own experience, and I've seen this reflected in my patients as well, that there are often these parts that we find very, very troublesome. And we find them very annoying because they kind of dog us. They don't go away. I have come to, over the course of time, realizing that they're actually very, very loyal aspects of ourselves. And they're not going to go away because they do hold something of, I'm here to help protect you. There's something here and it's a value. You don't understand it yet, but I am not going away until you get it because I'm just that loyal. I love you just that much. Yes. It's once that, going back to that word empowerment, once I understood what you just said, it changed my life because I thought I had to figure out how to get rid of that part of me. And what I realized, that's a part of me, that acceptance around it. And what can I do to nurture that part of me changed my life. We wouldn't be who we are without those very loyal and at times troublesome parts of ourselves. They they actually can hold a lot of forgiveness and they can hold a lot of space for our patients once we can hold space for them. The forgiveness, yeah, it's it's all wrapped up into that too, the self-forgiveness. The ability to not be so hard on yourself and the awareness that everybody is going through. I have not met somebody that I've met walking on or being on planet Earth that hasn't gone through all of this, is not trying to negotiate this part of themselves. That is something that connects us, isn't it? We can have compassion for that. Yeah, hard. because And the agency part is hard, challenging at times because when somebody is doing you know, harm to you, you want to protect your agency. So you can have compassion, but then you, know, you don't want to be in the direct line of fire of somebody who's 
who's not treating you well. I had a teacher once say, everybody, no matter what they're doing, is doing it for a positive reason, at least in their own mind. There's a positive reason why they're doing what they're doing. That does not mean they intend well for you. So and what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Right? Yeah. So there's your compassion, and there's a boundary here. Don't you dare cross it. I see your suffering, and I will protect myself. Yes. And I think for people in the healthcare profession, it's hard because our nature is to help people. So that boundary can feel like it's pretty, we can feel distant from it because in our nature, we want to help people. And sometimes we want to help people to our expense. And sometimes we, at our expense, sometimes we co-enable people. So really being, that comes back to the awareness, being how am I feeling in this space? I don't feel good. Then that is a call to me to adjust something in this relationship. Well, there's our practice. There's our daily Qigong practice in our clinic. Wonderful. Well, I have so appreciated our time together. If people would like to know more about what you're doing, where do they find you on the internet? So they can go to my website, shaunasafflay.com. And I have a CE class there that speaks to everything that we've talked about today, if people are interested. And I have a little bit of a professional IG, Shauna, L-A-C-M-S-W. And I teach at Pacific College. So I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to speak to you. You have such a, a grounding presence, and I felt very calm. I appreciate that. Well, I, I have appreciated our time together. I feel like I'm in such a fortunate position that I get to talk to so many different practitioners. Like I was saying at the beginning of our conversation, we have these basic principles that we all work with, but the experience that we each bring to those principles allows us to see different things through those lenses and add a bit of what really is ours to add to the stream of tradition and practice. So thank you so much for sharing yours today. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation and have a little extra room for the discomfort and edges that we all bring to our work. Recognizing and attending to our own growing edge is part of the practice of medicine. It's partly why some kind of personal cultivation is necessary. Without some way of feeling restored and resourced from within ourselves, we'll either burn out or go numb to the suffering of others. Empathy and forgiveness are powerful tools in the kit. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.